If you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets, well, so was I. So I started my own show. I'm Shane Larson, and this is the Game Time Guru. It's different than other talk shows. I'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens. So buckle up and let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Larson. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. We want you here, so make sure you subscribe to the channel so you can listen to all the previous episodes and get notifications for all the future episodes coming forward. So today on the show, we're going to be talking to a professional basketball player. He played for Texas Tech, so we're going to get a little bit of his story about how he was recruited by Bobby Knight and how he played for Bobby Knight for one year before he ended up making his way overseas when he was finished with his uh, college career. So We'll hear about what his his journey has been like playing overseas and what he's doing now in Thailand playing for the Mono Vampires. So you're going to want to hear this one. It's Mike Singletary, and I hope you guys enjoy the interview. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on Mike Singletary to the Game Time Guru Podcast. Like I said in the introduction, he's a professional basketball player playing overseas. We're going to get his his perspective and on his own journey uh, to the professional game. And so, Mike, we want to say thank you to for joining us here on the Game Time Guru. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm excited to be on here and be able to kind of share with uh, your listeners. And anytime I can help out, man, I'm always about it. Awesome. I'm grateful to have you. And just for you guys out there, uh, it's it's kind of crazy because we were trying to get a, the phone call to work. And because Mike lives overseas right now, uh, it wasn't working. So luckily he came to the rescue and, and got on a, a Skype call, was able to get this thing working for everybody here. So, Mike, where exactly are you living right now? Right now, I'm in uh, Bangkok, Thailand, so uh, I've been here for about two years now, so uh, this is home for now. Home for now, and we're going to talk about that. The for now is a, is a good phrase, I guess you could say, for somebody who's gone on the journey like yourself. Uh, before you got to, to Bangkok, Thailand, though, we're, we'll get into that discussion in a, in a little bit. We want to talk about where you came from, and you know, Mike, you had a pretty solid career that's actually an understatement but a, a very very solid career at texas tech uh you had an opportunity to play there but i want to get your background in basketball uh when you actually picked up a ball for the first time what got you for the love of the game and and, and got you to continue to play and why you actually chose texas tech so that's a loaded question but if you could kind of explain that for us that would be awesome well like i feel like i started later than most people especially nowadays i feel like you got so many kids nowadays who are picking up basketballs when they're, you know, two and three years old and whether it's just like, you know, throwing it around or whatever. But I, I really didn't start picking it up and actually start playing until maybe I was like probably in about like fourth grade, maybe third, fourth grade. And um, I actually was, you know, I had always played all these other sports. I played soccer and all these other sports. So um, I tried everything. So, um, I picked up basketball and I was decent, pretty good. And then, uh, and then I became the the big kid, the the kid that kind of started growing a lot more than than other people. So uh, basketball naturally became um, my go-to sport, and I actually ended up being pretty good at it. So, um, and then you know, with me choosing tech, um, I actually have a funny story about that. Uh, we're you know, I'm in high school and. My high school team is really pretty good. We uh, went to state three years in a row, and uh, I think you know, I think my team and my class has the most wins in Texas high school basketball history, something crazy like that. So uh, we were pretty successful, and uh, I got recruited by a lot of colleges, and um, 
Coach Knight actually came and uh, was wanting to have a home visit with me. So he actually came down and flew down to Houston where I'm from and uh, comes into my house and, you know, we're talking and over and, you know, doing the whole asking questions. My mom's asking questions and we're figuring it out. And he uh, finally tells me at the end, you know, at the end of when we're done talking, he said, so how do you feel about Texas Tech? And I was like, you know, yeah, coach, I would love to play for you. You know, obviously you're a legendary coach and, you know, um, you know, it'd be great to be able to come out there. And so he goes, uh, well, you know, you know, if you don't, uh, if you don't pick Tech, you know, uh, I got a shotgun waiting for you. And it was kind of one of those moments where it was really awkward. And it was kind of like the, the half laugh, half like, uh, are you serious? And, uh, <laughs> So, you know, that that kind of that kind of scared me a little bit, but it was also kind of kind of funny to me and I was like, okay. So, yeah, he's kind of serious, but he's also got a sense of humor. So, uh that really really got me going to Tech and and really kind of started my journey to Texas Tech, obviously. So, man, okay. So, that's funny. Well, I I guess it's funny, but not that he said that because that's who I would envision. Like that's when you hear the stories of Coach Knight, Bobby Knight, the legendary coach. That's what you think of. I mean, I read the book, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Mike, but the the book Season on the Brink, and um, it's it's Bobby Knight's. Yeah, it's got the whole background. They followed the the team for a full year back in the '80s, and and uh, you got to hear everything that was going on, and, and and it's just crazy. He's just that's just who he is, Coach Bobby Knight. And it's cool that you. It takes a special person to want to play for that coach. I just got to say that as a former basketball player myself. Well, I'm not at the level that you are, obviously, but someone who you know competed all through high school. Um, that's, I, yeah, it takes a special person to want to play for a coach like that because it's it's a mental grind. But can you explain? I mean, I know you only played under Coach Knight for a short period of time because while you were at Tech, there was a coaching change. But what was it like actually getting to play for him, and and how were his practices ran? Do you think he mellowed out quite a bit by the time you were there from the the olden days? uh mellowed out uh that's kind of I think that's a little bit I wouldn't say he mellowed out I think he was still as fiery as he as he was um but I just think he for you know for obviously for health reasons and stuff like that he wasn't able to be as um as aggressive I guess you can say um so he wasn't as fiery but he definitely had his moments and um I I just I respected that. I respected his his um desire to win and his uh preparation and making sure that we were prepared in all aspects of the game and, and knowing what it took to actually win. Um that's definitely some of the things that I, you know, admired about Coach Knight and our practices were hard as always, you know. Um like you said, if you go and read the books and you go and watch the 30 for 30 and all that stuff. Our practices were always hard and we always um, were competing and always, you know, getting after it. And if you weren't getting after it, then um, you were probably sent to the locker room or something. So um, we made sure that every day we, we, we tried to get better and um, tried to do our best to prepare us for whoever we were playing next and to be able to go out there and try to get a win. That's so awesome, man. It's cool to hear it from somebody who actually played for him. I remember there was a show, I think it was on ESPN, and I, I cannot remember for the life of me what it was called, but when he was it was when he was at Tech, and um, 
they were trying to get a walk-on spot, so everybody was trying oh, out. Walk-on. Yeah, 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 yeah. The walk-on show. Yeah, he was actually uh, when I when I was a freshman, the uh, a walk-on. His name was Tyler. He uh, he was actually a senior when I was a freshman. So um, oh. I I remember watching it and. You know, and then when I finally got to Tech, he was actually on the team. So it was, it was, it was kind of funny. That's crazy, dude. Okay, so you remember it too? Then yeah, I I just remember watching that. I was like, I never actually understood. I didn't know who where the where the player went. I didn't even know he stayed with the program. Uh, I just remember watching it and being thoroughly intrigued with the whole setup and just fighting for a spot on the on the roster on the team. And and he made it. It was just really cool to watch, it's like a reality TV show, but for basketball. So it it kind of it drew me in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, definitely yeah. he 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 could play a little bit he was he was he could play a little bit he would definitely surprise you that's awesome man it's cool you got to play with him now now mike when you were at tech you know you played for you know quite a few years you know you went through your whole career there and um i want to know from your perspective though you had a lot of good games as i was looking back and studying on it tonight right before we were interviewing, I was going through some of the, the statistics for you and just kind of seeing what your career was like. I remember your name, which is weird. I just told you that before we started this call. I I actually remember your name, and it's probably just because I watch SportsCenter and I follow college basketball and everything, but it's crazy because I do remember your name. But I want to know what your favorite memory, maybe it was your best game or your favorite game, whatever it was, from your time at Texas Tech. Oh, man. I think for me, that's, for me, that's pretty easy. Uh... I think it was uh, my Big 12 game in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, we were playing A&M and uh, uh, ended up finishing the game with 43 points off the bench and scored uh, 29 points straight, which is uh, still a record and all that stuff. So obviously that was my favorite moment. Um, and we ended up getting the win. So it was, uh, you know, it checked all the boxes. So I think that was probably my greatest or favorite moment, man. Crazy. And what being in the Big 12, who was the best player that you played against during your career? Oh, man, that's so hard to say because, you know, like you play, you play the Kansases, you play the Texas teams, and you play all these teams, but that Kansas team – that won the national championship my freshman year who had guys like Brandon Rush and had Darrell Arthur, Sharon Collins, and, and all these guys who were NBA guys, some of them NBA guys for a short stint, some of them longer stints. That was the most, I mean, for me, that was the most talented star-studded team that I'd ever played against. And, you know, it was definitely as a freshman seeing those guys and seeing that level that they were competing at was it was fun to be able to compete at that level, but it just showed me how much I still needed to work and how much I still needed to uh improve to kinda get to that level. So it was it was awesome and that, that team there was by far the most talented team I've ever played against. Wow, the names that you just mentioned. I can't even imagine 
uh, stepping foot on the same court as some of those individuals. And I'm sure there's others too that you played against throughout your career in college. It, it's just crazy to me. I mean, that's it's like it's probably surreal almost when you're when you're out there and you're playing guys of that magnitude, that that skill set, that talent level. Um, just seeing them like, and you're like, hey, I'm on the same court as you. That's crazy. Now, Mike, when you you were getting towards the end of your your college career, I want to know when it was that you decided like, hey, I want to continue playing basketball at the next level and you knew you were good enough um and and when you decided hey like we're going to take this to the next level uh whatever it may be and uh, how that whole process went for you well um I think you know for me I was one of those guys that I had a pretty decent career at tech um granted we didn't have a lot of we didn't have as much team success as we probably should have had and so with that, I was kind of one of those guys that was kind of on the verge of being maybe can be an NBA guy, maybe can sneak in. Um, and then I was presented with the opportunity to, uh, well, you could do really well overseas. And, uh, you know, and, and that kind of intrigued me a little bit. And obviously we all, I think is coming out of college, everybody has the, the dream to play in the NBA. I mean, that's just what it is, you know? And so we, um, you know, we had, we had a decision to make, I think, um, at that point. And, um, I went through the whole weighing the pros and cons and, and all that. And, um, at that time, the D league was around and the D league just wasn't paying that, that, that well especially as much as you can uh, make overseas. So um, my first gig out of over, out of college was I got my first deal to go play in Belgium. Um, so that was my first uh, opportunity to go over there and play overseas and, and to be able to uh, showcase my talent. And, um, it was definitely a, uh, a culture shock for me um, coming from good old Texas and uh, – but uh, it was definitely uh, it's it's definitely awesome, and I'm I'm glad that I actually chose the route that I did. Yeah, that's super cool, and we'll get into a couple of the other places that you've played as well. You go to Belgium though, and you you were um, having to make a decision at that time. Did you have a family? I guess like a, a girlfriend, wife, anything like that, that had to go with you, or was it basically a decision for yourself at that point in your career? I actually, I actually got married the summer before I actually went to Belgium. Oh, so wow. uh, my story is, is uh, me and my girlfriend, now wife, uh, were dating for a while, and um, we obviously wanted to continue uh, in our relationship, and um, she wasn't going to come overseas without having a ring on her finger, which is totally acceptable. And, you know, we were just, we were at that stage pretty much. It was, you know, um, close to, we were basically married, I guess, without the title pretty much. So spent all our time together and everything like that. So um, we went ahead and, and made it official. And uh, so our, basically our, we, our honeymoon was our, in Belgium for <laughs> playing basketball. <laughs> You know what? That that's awesome though. That's that's cool because you had someone to go along the ride with you. You know, I, I almost think that would make it easier. It would be tough 
for the decision making just because you have to make the decision for two people not just one but i mean if if she's in on it then i guess you have have a partner in in the whole entire process i think that's awesome uh it'd be super cool if you had that opportunity so you're going to belgium um it's your first time basically going out of the country playing kind of culture shock you mentioned what uh what was the toughest part about playing in belgium whether it be the culture whether it be the style of basketball that's played what was the toughest part about adjusting to playing overseas i think both i think um obviously obviously there's a culture there's a culture shock i mean when you go overseas there's a culture shock anyway you know initially with different languages being spoken and you know, sometimes not being able to understand and being able to communicate, that's definitely hard. Um, but European basketball in itself is just completely different from college, from NBA. I mean, obviously you're seeing guys now like Luka Doncic and, you know, these Europeans are coming in into the NBA and, and they're just, their style of play is so mature and, how they play the game and they just play the game differently. Um, it's, it's definitely an adjustment and um, it's hard for, I think it, I think at the time when I was playing basketball coming out of college, we hadn't really Europeanized the, the game yet at that point. Now I think it's now I think, you know, college basketball is kind of towards the way that Europe plays basketball and it's becoming an easier transition for those guys that are coming from college to be able to play overseas. Um, but that was definitely just, it was, it was so hard and so tough to be able to figure out how to kind of change my game, but also not change my game um, to be able to adapt to how, how the play style was. So you say Europeanized, um, for for us to have a better understanding, what do you mean by Europeanized? Like, because when we hear like the Europe ball, the the old stereotype for that was, hey, this guy's from Europe. He's a softy, so all he's gonna do is he's like he's a stretch four or a stretch five who just shoots threes. You know, they always thought of him as the soft the soft centers that could just you know shoot from the outside. What do you mean by by Europeanized so that we can have a better understanding? Oh. To me, um, to me, a prime example is kind of everybody looks at the Warriors right now. Obviously, they're the best team in the NBA. But the way that they share the ball and the fact that they have most of the time that they have five guys out on the floor who are extremely skilled, who can all put the ball on the ground, who can all pass, who can all shoot. Um, when you go to Europe, that's usually how it is. I mean, you have seven-footers who are extremely skilled, um, who are able to shoot from three, who are able to put the ball on the ground, and who are able to do so many different things. And um, obviously, you know, with guys like Dirk Nowitzki who came in and to the NBA, and obviously now you're just seeing that influx, and especially in the NBA, of it's becoming positionless. And in Europe, that's kind of how it is. It's, it's really positionless. I mean... You have your center might be seven foot one, but he's able to score in the post and he's also able to shoot from three. So it just makes it so hard to be able to um, to be able to guard. And which is why I think the Warriors have so much success and which is why I think those guys that do end up coming over from Europe come to the NBA and can can fit 
in the NBA game now so seamlessly, you know. Totally. Okay. I appreciate that analysis because that kind of gives us a better idea of what that means. Cause I think there's just a negative stereotype on European basketball period. Now we see a couple superstars that are coming over to the league nowadays, but we didn't really have that, that idea of what, you know, Europe basketball was like. So that's awesome. And, you know, after Belgium, Mike, you, you went on to play for a couple other countries before you landed now or where you're at now. Um, can you name off some of the countries that you've played in and kind of who, where was your best country? Like where was the best basketball, I guess the, the highest skilled basketball that you you've played. Oh man. So I went from Belgium and then I played a year in the D league and uh, won a championship in the D league with the Rockets Dealey team and then um, went to the Philippines and played in the Philippines. And I loved the Philippines um, for a lot of people don't know how long the Philippines has had a basketball, a basketball league. They're the, I think they're the longest uh, tenured uh, basketball league in the world, I think. Um, I could totally be wrong on that, but um, they take a lot of pride in their basketball. And it's basically, their league is basically treated like the, like it's their NBA. I mean, the fans are all about it. They love it. And um, I loved playing there. I loved the passion that the fans had. And um, I just love the, the skill set that some of those guys have. I mean, they're really, really, really good and talented and, so I actually played in the Philippines for uh, two stints and then um, ended up coming over here and moving my way to Asia and played in Japan for a year and then uh, made my way over to Thailand. And, and now I've been in Thailand for um, this will be my third year. So um, kind of been all over Europe and then, you know, have started to kind of make my way to Asia and in basketball over here in Asia. My goodness, man. It really is taking you all over the world. It's kind of cool that playing a sport can can teach you so much and take you to different parts of, of the world. Like, you're all over the place. If you're the, the place you're naming off, it's like it's not like just going to the next state over or something like that. It's, yeah, you're going all over the place. Um, now I'm looking, looking here. Okay, so that's cool to hear. I want to, before we get into this, this basketball league that you're a part of now, um, I want to talk about the the contracts, okay? So we've talked to some people that have played overseas, and we've actually had a show, you know, we've had a discussion on my show regarding, you know, the D League, which is now the G League, versus playing overseas and how you can keep the players stateside and the changes that they've made now to try to do so and incentivize the players to come over here. Because like you mentioned earlier, briefly, you know, the money for the D League was comparable to that of someone working at McDonald's. And that's not an exaggeration at the time. Like if we were to flash back about, you know, eight or eight to 10 years, like that's how it was. I mean, I think the average was anywhere between 27 to $35,000 a season. And I mean, it's not, it's not easy work. Like it's still playing basketball at a high level against some high talent. And yeah, it's, it's not that, it's not that much money comparatively speaking to some of the other places around the world. And obviously every place is different overseas. And I don't want you to give me specific numbers cause that's your own personal information, but can you give me like a ballpark estimate of what you would make in some of the places that you've played, I guess? Uh, I think, I think when I first came out of college, uh, the European market was so was doing, it was okay. It was now, if you go back, maybe, maybe five to 10 years before I got out of college, the European market was, was booming. 
And there were so many guys actually going overseas and signing, I mean, half a million dollar deals, a million dollar deals. I mean, just, I mean, just outrageous amounts of money. Um, and overseas basketball, a lot of people weren't going overseas. So at that time, so, um, and didn't really know about it. Um, a lot of guys, if they didn't make the NBA, then either the D league was fairly new. So either they went to the D league or most of them just stopped playing. So at that time, the European market was so big and was booming. But when I came in, the European market was kind of taking a little bit of a hit and, Really why it took a hit and is still continuing to take a hit, I think, is because now it's such a viable option for so many guys coming out of college. So it really doesn't matter if you played high-level college or if you played D1 or if you played JUCO or whatever. There's so many jobs that are out there to be able to to play and to, to make money um, playing professionally. So it's kind of... Um, hampered the market a little bit. Now you have these teams in Europe who um, were once signing half million dollar deals to these guys. So now they're just, they're going and they're getting guys who for maybe, you know, $2,000 a month. And they're signing these guys just because they want, just, just, and the guys are taking the deals just because they want to play basketball overseas. And so now it's putting these guys, like myself, who are considered veterans now, who've been playing for so many years, it's putting us in a bind. And because most of the time, we're not going to take that deal because our resume kind of um, is more than that. So it's it's just kind of hampered it. And, and so now Europe is, if you're not playing EuroLeague or high, high-level Europe, um, you're probably not making as, much as you definitely not making as much as you would have been making 10 to 15 years ago. Um, so I think that's why now you see a lot of guys are starting to move over to Asia and Asia is starting to become the place where guys can actually go overseas and play basketball and actually make a good, good amount of money. So um, I think, you know, if you can handle being in Asia, obviously it's different. It's obviously different from Europe for sure. Um, but I think Asia right now is kind of the place where a lot of people are starting to migrate over here and be able to play over here and be able to feel like they're getting their worth, if not more. That's so interesting. So interesting how the markets work and just like now the demand's coming uh, to Europe and in a sense it's getting watered down. I wouldn't say watered down. It, it, that makes it sound terrible, but like, you know what I mean? It's, it's getting, there's so many out there that obviously it's less, it's just, it's harder to pay out a ton of players. <laughs> I guess it's harder to do that. Man. Yeah. So it just makes it, so it makes it tougher for, you know, makes it tougher for a lot of guys who, aren't really done playing yet, maybe, you know, 33, 34 years old, and they have a, a big, long resume. And so it's basically them against the guy who's coming right out of college. And most of the time, um, some of these teams, they're going to go with the younger guy, obviously, because he's younger. And they're just going to sign into a lot less money and hope that he works out and basically hope that he's going to outplay his contract and that they're basically going to hit a home run. And if it doesn't work, 
and he doesn't work out, then obviously then they can they've saved a little bit of money and then they can say, Okay, well finally we'll go bring in this veteran guy, but we won't have to pay you as much as we would have had to pay you up front if we signed you originally. So it's kind of a game within a game. Um, so you definitely have to have some knowledge and to be able to have obviously an agent or somebody working for you who um, can kind of give you a heads up as to what's going on. Um, now, now you're over in Asia, you're in Thailand and you mentioned, you know, you, you've made this, the, the move over to this, this league and the league that you're a part of is the association of Southeast Asian nations. Um, and you're part of the Mono Vampires. And I want you to talk about this as we as we wrap up this show. I want to hear about it now. Like, So your journey has taken you to many different countries. You've now made it over to, to Asia. Um, you're in Thailand. You're playing for the Vampires. From my understanding, just looking at the logistics of things, the different teams that are that are out there, they're not close to each other, like logistically speaking. I mean, it seems like you guys would have to travel quite a ways to get to each location if i'm not mistaken but you can talk about that i guess and then just talk about the experience so far it seems like you're doing extremely well i'm looking at your statistics mike you're averaging over what 26 a game right now uh 26 a game 43 percent from the field are you kidding me from that's a that's a pretty efficient stat line right there with 11 rebounds a game like looks like your your career stats were 10 rebounds 27.7 points and 44 percent from the field so that's a pretty dang efficient stat line uh talk about your game over in Asia, what you like about it, and maybe what what you plan on doing going forward? Uh, so, I mean, our league is basically we have teams from we have a team in the Philippines, we have a team in Singapore, and and we got teams. I mean, Hong Kong. There's teams all over. So, there's definitely a a, a little bit of travel involved. Um, granted, the the flights aren't that bad because it's maybe. I mean, the longest flight you might have might be to go to China or something, which is maybe, you know, three hours. So it's really not that bad. Um, and so we get to travel quite a bit, which is awesome to be able to go and see some of these other places, especially in Asia, um, that maybe you might not have traveled to if you weren't playing basketball. So um, that's definitely awesome. Um, I love the league. Um, obviously, the league is... I say fairly new, but, um, you know, maybe eight to 10 years old. And so it's still trying to figure out, find its way. And, um, I think they've constantly gotten better, especially since I've been in the league, they've constantly gotten better and adding more and more teams. So, um, I think next year we're actually going to have three or four more teams. So the league's continuing to expand and definitely awesome to be able to play in the league like that and to be able to travel, like I said, and, um, I, I I love being here in Thailand. I love um, the team that I'm on, the, the Mono organization that I get to play for. It's definitely awesome and, and takes care of us and does a good job of um, trying to put in basketball first and, and putting us first and making sure we have everything that we need to be uh, successful. So that's definitely a plus because you don't get that a lot of times. Um, and some organizations you don't you don't get that. So whenever you do get that, you kind of hold on tight. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I just, I, you know, I, I love it. And to be able to be here, if I can finish out my time here in Thailand, finish, finish out my playing days here in Thailand, to be able to stay with this organization, I would love to. Um, I actually have a one-year-old son who just turned one, 
in December. So um, anytime you can get some some sort of security and some sort of stability, not only for uh, me and my wife, but also for my son, that would definitely be a plus. So um, hopefully that works out. If it doesn't work out, then we're always up for a new adventure. And I'd love to be able to show him some more places that he probably wouldn't see if we weren't playing basketball. So um, as much as whatever, wherever, wherever life takes me and I'm able to continue to play, continue to play at a high level, uh, I think me and my wife are all for it. Super cool, man. And you mentioned earlier who your um who the, the best players you played against were in college. Now that you're you know, you've got some experience, quite a few years now playing overseas and now you've got you're in your second year in Thailand. Who's the best player you have played during your professional career? Ooh, during my professional career. Oh man. Um that's tough, but I will I'll I'll say right now the toughest guy to play against right now that I'm playing against currently in my league is I think Ronaldo Baltman. Um, I don't know if some, some people might know him. He was in the NBA for, I mean, a few years, got drafted by the Knicks and played with the Knicks and played with uh, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, but he's made his way over to Asia. He's been playing in Asia for a few years now, but he's just, He's the tough guy to guard because his motor is just nonstop. And he never, never stops. So it's always tough to be able to play against somebody like that who's not only skilled but who has a continual motor. Um, that's a lot – a lot of times that's kind of hard to find um, a guy who's not only skilled but who has relentless effort. So he's definitely the toughest guy right now to be able to – because you not only have to match him in terms of your skill set, but you also have to match him in terms of motor. So um, he's probably the best guy right now that um, that I'm playing against. Crazy. I actually recognize that name. Um, I'm trying to think. He was, I think he was a Puerto Rican. He played for Puerto Rico or something in another league, if I'm not mistaken. It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy you're mentioning names, and it's cool for me because I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to, like, keeping an eye on some of the players. Everybody just likes to see, like, when you're here in the States, it's natural for, like, people to just watch the big-name players. But there's other players out here, like yourself, that are extremely talented that, you know, did well in college, and, like, you just never hear about them again. And that's one of the things I love about my show is I'm able to connect with people like yourself and hear about these names. And you're mentioning people like Balkman. I do remember that, and I don't know I, I don't know what happened there. I'll have to do some research on Balkman, but I, I think there was something that went down in the Philippines or something at some time. But anyways, there's something that happened, and so I, I have to take a look. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you knew the teammates, so it was uh, it, it it was all over the place. So okay, yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> see, that's what I'm talking about. Like stuff like that that's interesting to me because I hear these names, I'm like, dang. Um, I'm just kind of a nerd for the game. I enjoy it though, and so. The last question I have for you, Mike, as I'm hearing the story, you mentioned you would like to stay with this, you know, have some stability, stay with the Vampire program, um, if you could, uh, ride out the career. How long do you see yourself playing for, if you had a say in it? How long do you want to play for moving forward? Man, I think I think as you go in, you know, obviously you want to play as long as you possibly can. Um, for me, personally, I am one of those guys that I want to go out continuing to play at a high level. Um, I don't know if mentally I have the ability to 
not play at a high level and continue to play. Um, and and also, this is health-wise. Hopefully, I'm able to, you know, to be healthy enough to be able to continue to play at a high level. But I think a good number would be, for me, about 35, maybe 36, and hopefully um, be able to still be playing um, at the level I'm playing at now, if not higher. 35, 36. You got, you got a few, you're like the LeBron James mindset. You take care of yourself. You keep competing at a high level. I like that. Got a motor on you. And if you're still putting up 26 a game and 10 rebounds, uh, I don't see any reason why that's going to stop, you know, as long as you keep putting in, putting in the work and the effort. Super cool, man. Now, Mike, if, before we leave, is there anything you'd like to say to any of the hoopers out there that are, that are, you know, contemplating, you know, whether they want to move forward? Like if, if it's worth it playing overseas, just something that you could share words of wisdom for anybody listening. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, I think I think we all love the game of basketball, but I think when you when it becomes your job, you have to really, really love it because there's going to be times, especially playing overseas, where it's going to be really tough. You're going to be homesick. You're going to miss family. You're going to miss a lot of things. You're going to miss friends. You're going to miss a lot of things that are going on um, at home. But if you love the game and you love to to, to constantly compete and you love um, the ability to be able to do it as your job, um, that kind of makes a little bit of it go away, I think. Um, and I think it – so you really have to, as you come out of college and as you come out and wanting to know if you want to play overseas, you have to have that love for it because if you don't have that love for it, then it's going to eat you up and, and, and spit you out. So – um, I would say take a hard look and just and just figure out if um, that's something that you want to do. I mean, it, there's there's pros and cons to to both sides, but um, the the ability to be able to see the world and to basically see it for free and to be able to play this game um, as and make money off of it is, is definitely um, a blessing and, and something that I I, I enjoy and, and something that I I love and and I'm passionate about. So um, basically just make sure if you're, if you're, if you're wanting to do it, be passionate and be able to adapt and be able to um, just give it your all, man. I mean, that's, that's basically uh, what it's about and playing overseas is all about. I love it, man. Thank you so much, Mike. And for anybody out there who's listening, I hope you enjoyed this, this interview. Once again, it's Mike, Mike Singletary from the ABL, which is the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. He plays for the Mono Vampires. It's a, it's a cool story. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, you know what the drill is. You listen to the show, head on over to iTunes, give me a, give me a, give me a subscription, and give me a five-star review if you can. Uh, that way you can check out all the, the episodes that were previous and the ones moving forward. Hope you guys like this. Share it with all your friends and family, and you know the drill. We'll talk to you next week. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.